hey, welcome to JVL Prez, if you would. Grab your Bibles, and let's open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, if you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. They're all throughout the room. You can turn to page 1,194. Hopefully, you brought your Bible this morning. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Holy and Inerrant Word out in front of them. If you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Hebrews this fall, and we're into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39, page 1,194 in these blue hardback Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, Merry Christmas. You can take that Bible home as our Christmas gift to you. Uh, well, welcome. My name is Dustin. I get to be the lead pastor here. Let's hear from God's holy and inerrant word. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. Hear the word of the Lord. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So how much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Would you be seated and pray with me in the name of Jesus as you keep your Bible open in your lap. Father, we love you this morning and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And now by the spirit of grace, we ask that you would open our hearts, expand them so that we would have ears to hear this dire, terrifying warning. And Lord, that we would set our eyes not on the things of this life, but on the things that pertain to eternity, the life of the age to come. Father, we need your spirit to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you uh, know anything about me, you know that I really love Thanksgiving food, but actually I have this little quirky thing where I don't actually like love the Thanksgiving meal itself. What I really love is eating the leftover food after Thanksgiving. Anybody here really like going into your refrigerator and pulling out like cold ham and being like, this is better than when I went yesterday when I ate it when it was cooked? Or anybody here really love putting together like a cold turkey sandwich the day afterwards? You know, did anybody like eating the leftover foods when, you know, watching the ducks beat the beavers? I'm sorry, is that too soon? Should I not have mentioned that? Is that too soon? My bad. 
The reason I, I mention leftovers is because sometimes going back to something makes it even better and meaningful the first time. And really, you know, if you've been with us in our series in Hebrews, uh, these words should sound really familiar. They were just on the screen a few seconds ago. And my big prayer this whole time is that if you can remember these three things, you really can understand the book of Hebrews. I've suggested for, you know, months now that Hebrews is a pretty difficult book. So I'm really proud of everybody for sticking through it and enduring and growing. And hopefully it's been a growing experience for you, but the way that you and I are going to get through Hebrews, right, is remembering these three things. And I'm going to use it as sort of my outline this morning. And it, you know, these may seem like leftovers to you, but don't forget, cold ham's actually pretty good. It'll, it'll do. Here, here's the cold leftovers, but they'll do. What do you need to understand the book of Hebrews? Three things. What are they? Ears, ears to hear, eyes to behold, and a heart that does what? Expands. Yeah. Ears to hear, eyes that behold, and hearts that expand. And what I mean by that is you and I, we need to have ears to hear. We have to be willing to hear what God's word actually says, not just what we want the Bible to say, but what the Bible actually says to us. And this morning is going to be hard to actually hear what the Bible says to us because this passage is warning you and me of the dangers of hell. Hell is a reality, and the question is not whether or not you like the doctrine of hell. The question is, do you have ears to hear? Uh, you might say it this way. Do you have the faith to believe what God has said is true, is true? Do you have ears to hear that? Do you have eyes that behold eternity? Uh, this is like the big turn in the book of Hebrews. Um, we can't just focus on the cares of this life, the things of this world. We have to sort of lift up our gaze and we have to behold the glory of the age to come. We have to anticipate not just today and tomorrow, but the life of the age that hopefully for everyone listening to me right now, you will be with me in heaven by the grace of God. You have to have eyes that behold eternity. And then, of course, to make room for all of these beautiful beliefs, you and I, we don't need to have shrinking hearts. We don't need to shrink back from faith. We need to stand up straight and have expanding hearts. We have to see more and more of the beauty of Christ. So let's look at this passage through that lens, right? Those three things. If you look down, uh, verses 26 through 31, this is where we need ears to hear. So turn your ears on if you've had them turned off and uh, listen with the ears of faith. Let's look at verse 26 through 31 again. That's our first section. Ears to hear, friend. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, who said, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, friend, what I'm suggesting to you right now is you and I, we need to have ears to hear. So what does it mean, look down at verse 26, for you and I to sin deliberately? What does it mean to go on sinning deliberately? Now, probably what you're thinking is like, oh my goodness, does that mean that I can never sin again, having become a Christian? If I ever sin after becoming a Christian, that there's no sacrifice for my sins and I'm going to go to hell? Well, no, if you look down at verse 26, sinning deliberately 
In this passage of Hebrews and really the whole Bible, what sinning deliberately means is leaving Christ. It's a high-handed sin. And what that means is you claim to follow Jesus, but then later on you renounce him and look down. What does it mean to sin deliberately? He even tells us in verse 29. Uh, it's not slipping up and tripping and you know, stubbing your toe and saying a cuss word. That's not the kind of sin he's talking about. Look at verse 29. He's talking about what it would mean for us to trample underfoot the son of God. That means to renounce him, to profane the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified. That means to look at the blood of the covenant, to look at communion, Christ's sacrifice, and say, Psh, I don't believe that anymore. Jesus died for nothing. That would, that's what it would mean to profane the blood of the covenant. And the spirit of grace, which is at work in calling each one of us to repentance and faith, to reject the Holy Spirit, is akin to the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about. If you reject the Holy Spirit in your life, and you reject Christ, and you reject the Father, what can God possibly do with a heart like that? Now, the analogy he's going to give, and this is where you and I kind of have to understand the Bible and a little bit about Hebrews, is he's going to draw an analogy from the Old Testament. And he's talking about a high-handed sin. Look down at verse 28. This is his sort of analogy. This is how he kind of makes the argument. It's a very Jewish way of arguing because he, then he goes into a how much more argument. And what he establishes in verse 28 is if you were living in the Old Testament times, if you're living during the Old Covenant, well, if you, for instance, were to uh, commit adultery and murder somebody, well, what sacrifice is there for murder in the Old Covenant? What animal sacrifice would you give in case you, you know, murder somebody in a fit of rage or because you lie? Is there, is there a sacrifice that you can give your local priest to atone for that sin? Well, if you were to study the Old Covenant, a deliberate sin like that, or what the you know, ESV will translate a high-handed sin, a deliberate sin, that sin, if you murdered somebody, the Old Testament covenant said, well, you got to die. You need to be put to death. They would exercise capital punishment. So look at verse 28. He, that's what he means by setting aside the law of Moses. If you murder somebody and, so to speak, set aside the law, say that, well, that law doesn't apply to me, what's going to happen? Well, all that remains is for you to experience capital punishment. But notice what he says in verse 29. The Old Testament capital punishment crimes, so to speak, are sort of a type or a pointing forward to what do it mean for Christians to abandon Jesus Christ uh, the, the fancy word there is to apostatize, to renounce Christ, to go from saying you believe in Jesus to saying he died for nothing. And then notice this kind of heightened language around verse 29, trampling underfoot the son of God, profaning his blood. And, uh, you know, what's fascinating to me about this is if you, uh, if you read like sort of modern day atheists, like if you were to study people, um, you know, like Bart Ehrman, uh, scholars and, you know, kind of the new atheist movement, many of them started off uh, raised in what? Raised in churches. Some of them went to seminary. Some of them were pastors. One of the most prominent pastors in America just renounced Jesus, and now you can go online and he can help you deconstruct your faith. It's amazing to me that a lot of people who claim Jesus and then later on abandon him when they officially apostatize, they don't just sort of leave Jesus alone. They actually somehow have a hatred for him that's really hard for me to understand and grasp. And history proves this out time and time again. Uh, usually the people who claim to follow Jesus and then later on renounce him actually develop not a love for him, but a hatred for him. 
So what is God supposed to do to somebody like that? Well, this is where hell stands before them. And we plead with them to repent, to turn. But look at verse 30. What is, what is there to stand for that person? Well, God says vengeance is his and he will repay people. You know, 2 Corinthians gives us this sober warning. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, friends, there, are, there is no third space uh, beyond this life. There is heaven and hell. And friends, I would be remiss as your pastor if I did not plead with you. Do not go to hell. What does this passage tell you? Look at verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, the problem for people like you and me is we often look at claims like this where, you know, we live in a world where you could have anybody tell you whatever you want to hear online. And, you know, if you want to believe whatever you want, you could find 10,000 people online who would agree with you. But friends, the way that you and I derive at truth is not by asking the question, do I like this? We ask the question, is this true? And Christian, we are people of faith. And faith means believing to be true, what God tells us is true. And Jesus tells us that hell is real. So what is the offer that we would be rejecting? Uh, what I'm suggesting to you is people go to hell for rejecting Christ. So what is the offer? Uh, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't know actually what the offer of Christianity really is. Uh, well, flip over in your Bible, if you're willing, over to John chapter 3. I'll even, let me give you the page number in case you need it. Uh, go to John chapter 3. Uh, what is this offer of salvation? Uh, well, go to John chapter 3. Let's start in verse 16. This is page 1055. Uh, if you don't know what the message of Jesus is all about, well, this is the greatest news you will ever hear. Uh, many of you will probably know this first verse, but... Notice where Jesus is going. So remember, faith is believing to be true what Jesus knows is true. Faith is not believing what I say. Faith is believing what God says in his holy word. And listen to me to the extent that I align with this. So listen to Jesus himself talking about heaven and hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever strives really hard to be a great person and never screws up, Maybe we'll go to heaven one day if their good outweighs their bad. Nope, that's not what it says. That whoever is super cool and not judgmental and goes along to get along. Is that what it says? No. There's a, there is a door to heaven. And what is it? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have the life of the age, eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent Jesus to save you from hell. That's the whole point. Christ gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't want to come to the light because then his works would be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Uh, We could keep reading the rest of John chapter three, probably the most important chapter in the Bible, but let's go to the very last sentence. This is the last sentence of John chapter three. Whoever believes in the son has what? Eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son, what? Shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, friend, um, this passage is all about the perseverance of the saints, uh, you and I getting to heaven. And what I want to remind you, Christian, is that part of being a Christian means that you and I heed the warning. (laughs) If this bothers you, if you think, I don't want to go to hell, praise God. That is the Holy Spirit in your heart telling you to persevere. Stand up straight, be confident, walk with boldness. Christians heed the warnings of these passages. Uh, But like any good pastor, he doesn't just give us this sort of terrifying passage because now he's going to shift right there. Uh, If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, he's going to shift right there in verse 32, uh, not just from sort of a a terrifying, sober reality, but he's actually going to give us a word of encouragement, if you can believe it, an exhortation. And and if that seems strange, just remember John chapter 3 can talk about being condemned, but also having freedom and, and forgiveness by faith in Jesus. This is part and parcel of the gospel message, is a challenge and a warning, but also encouragement and exhortation. Now let's look at verses 32 through 35. And this is where you and I need to have eyes that behold, not just this world, but the world to come. Listen to what he says in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is after you became a Christian, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a what? A better possession and what? An abiding one. He's talking about heaven right there. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And what is the reward of our faith? Beholding Jesus and the life to come. Life eternal. So uh, he goes from challenging us and warning us to promising us that you and I can be encouraged to persevere to the end by faith. Um, So what I want to suggest to you, like, you know, when you look down at verses 32 through 34, he's going to look back and then he's going to kind of look forward to the life to come. But when he's looking back in verses 32, 33, 34, he's talking about the sufferings and the hardships that these people went through. Right? So he says, remember, when you became a Christian, you had a hard struggle. You suffered. You were publicly exposed to people making fun of you. Uh, you experienced affliction. People thought you were weird. But not just that. They did what? They had compassion on their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who were in prison. And they even accepted the plundering of their property. People stole from them because they were Christians. And yet they had this frame of mind to where whatever was taken from them, they saw it as an offering to God. You can take all of everything you want. Everything I have is an offering to the Father. And I don't need everything in this life because I have a better home. 
My true home is in heaven. So what I want to suggest to you, uh, I think what the heart of this passage is getting at uh, is sort of this strange quirk in life that is counterintuitive, uh, which means it doesn't seem to make sense, but then it sort of does make sense, which is actually the times in our life when our faith is the strongest, when you're really close to the Lord, those times are actually most likely when you and I are going through severe hardship. Uh, William Barclay is an old Scottish dead guy that I love. A lot of, I, I love a lot of old dead guys, especially when they're Scottish and theologians. Uh, William Barclay said this, this is so, so profound. He says, most men have their great moments. To everyone, it is sometimes given to mount up with wings as eagles. In the moment of the great effort, everyone can run and not be weary. But the greatest gift of all is to walk and not faint. Uh, friends, what I'm suggesting to you, and I think what this passage is suggesting to you, is that what ruins our faith is often not difficulty. What ruins our faith is actually complacency. I'll say that again. What ruins our faith is often not difficulty. What ruins our faith is complacency. Uh, friend, if you show me a Christian who is going through the dark night of the soul, or going through severe suffering, I will show you a diamond that is shining brilliantly behind a cloth of black. <laughs> the suffering in our life is often like a cloth that makes the diamond of our life even more brilliant. Uh, what does Jesus say chokes out our faith? Jesus says in the parable of the sower, what chokes out our faith is the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for more and more and more things. Those are the things that choke out the word. Um, think about it this way. Um, if you look down at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, what he's saying is all of those times of hardship, all of those times of suffering that you endured, that was actually you, Christian, at your best. So draw from that remembrance of hardship so that you persevere to the end. Um, here, here's an example that maybe would make sense to you. Um, if you study the Old Testament, you'll know that the greatest king of all uh, in the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel, what's his name? His name is King David, right? And as a young man, he was promised by a prophet that he was going to be the king of Israel. And then almost immediately, uh, God tells him he's going to have a better possession. He's going to become the king of Israel. He's anointed by the prophet. And then he, in fact, marries the daughter of the king. But then the existing king, King Saul, gets jealous of David. And so he tries to kill his son-in-law. And you think your in-laws are bad, y'all? This is They haven't resorted to throwing a spear at you yet. Or maybe they did. I don't know. I wasn't there at your Thanksgiving meal. But think about David for just a second. So David is promised something by God, that he would be king. And then immediately God throws him into a furnace. Uh, does David start living in the, you know, the castle, you know, the place of the king? Does he live in the, pastle, the palace? No. If you read the Old Testament, Dave has to spend time living in the cave of Abdullam. Uh, he has to spend nights sleeping on the ground in the forests of Hereth. And then he has to live among the Philistines. Uh, he goes on and he lives in Oxus. 
But think about this whole time. The irony is David is going through hardship. He's not able to lay his head down comfortably in a palace. He's sleeping on the ground and in caves. And then the irony is he's given actually multiple opportunities to murder whom? Saul, the guy trying to kill him. But David would never resort to murder. Why? Because the hardships that he was facing were actually the strengthening of his faith and his relationship to God. That's when his relationship to God was most visceral for him. And if you know the story of David, what happens? Eventually, he does realize his life goals. He becomes king and he moves into the ease of the palace. And then one night, he's standing up on his roof. He's importantly not fighting battles anymore because he's graduated beyond that. And he's chilling on his roof, looking at women bathe. And then David stumbles. He loses his confidence in his faith. And he succumbs to the cares and the temptations of this world. And he becomes what he never would have become when he was sleeping in the forest of Herod. He becomes a murderer. And he murders an innocent man. It was David at ease and complacent when his faith stumbled. It was not David going through hardship when he stumbled. This is why the Bible tells us things like Romans chapter five. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance becomes character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, do you have ears to hear the warning? Christian, you will heed the warning. But friends, when you think about your hardships, Do you see them as the strengthening of your faith or are you pining away so that you can care about this world that's actually ironically passing away? The last thing I want you to see, uh, and really I think what the author of Hebrews wants you to see is right there, verses 36 through 39. And uh, I'm gonna use the language of a heart that expands, right? Look at verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Uh, Friends, what I love about this passage is so beautiful. You know, he quotes this uh, Old Testament passage where God says, yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay. He's talking about one day Jesus Christ will return. And what he wants to find is faith. He wants us not to shrink back and leave him, but to stand up straight and say, I believe in Christ, right? I'm not gonna shrink back. I'm gonna stand up boldly. Now, if you think, why am I using all of this language about standing up straight? Well, uh, I guess what I want to suggest to you is um, think about it this way. Posture matters, right? Posture matters. 
Uh, guys, have you ever been on a date with a girl and been like, hey, you want to like go out? No? You know how you can tell if a guy likes you if he stands up like this? He's like, hello, person that I like. I am very, very tall, right? I'm taller than you could possibly imagine, right? Uh, I'm not the first to point this out. Your posture matters, right? This is why if you're in trouble with the principal, as soon as he walks in the room, what do you do? You hold it attention, right? This is why the military beats good posture into all of the veterans that have ever served. Why? Because posture matters. Um, you know, even a, a famous psychologist he wrote an entire book on like his way of living. And the very first chapter is stand up straight with your back straight. And he even argues that actually your posture affects your whole demeanor in life. It actually affects the way your body functions and also impacts the way you think about life. Notice what he says in verse 39. He's using posture sort of metaphorically, right? He says, we are not those who do what? Shrink back. You know, this is a posture of giving up, right? This is, this is what them beavers were doing on Friday. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Just kidding, just kidding, but not really. Everybody knows what Bo Nix is doing. Bo Nix is walking around like he's seven foot five. Notice what he says. You and I need to have confidence and endurance. Now, when the Bible talks about confidence, and when I'm talking about confidence, I'm not talking about self-confidence. That's just pride, typically. Uh, and when, when the Bible talks about having confidence, he's not talking about your personality type. Confidence in the Bible goes beyond all personality types or emotional states or situations in life you may find yourself in. Uh, if you were to study confidence all through the book of Hebrews, he loves this word. Confidence for the Christian is when you and I boast in our hope of the age to come. Confidence is holding firm to the end our faith in Christ. Confidence is knowing that we can draw near to God because we have such a great high priest exalted into heavens, Jesus, the son of God, who gives us mercy and grace in time of need. Confidence is what empowers you and I to have boldness to enter in the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Uh, friends, what I'm suggesting to you is confidence is like having big-hearted faith. Big-hearted faith. Not self-confidence, but confidence that I believe Jesus is alive. And I'm not going to shrink back in defeat. I'm not going to take a posture of weakness. I'm going to stand up straight and say, I believe that Jesus is alive. Uh, friends, do you have ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear the sobering, terrifying warning of hell? Uh, Christians heed this warning. That's the best news I can tell you. But if you aren't a Christian this morning, what Jesus would have me tell you is stop deliberately sinning and deliberately give your life to Jesus. Deliberately give your life to Christ. Repent of the old way of life and deliberately follow him. So at some point, you got to put your flag in the ground and decide what you stand for and what you believe. The other thing I want you to see in this passage, friend, is you've got to have eyes that behold. You've got to recognize there is a world to come. Heaven is real. <laughs> you are destined for it, Christian. So if you're in a time of suffering or hardship, what should you do? You should rejoice because this is the moment when your strength is being, when your faith is being strengthened. 
Uh, the danger is not when you're sleeping on the ground in the forest of Herod. <laughs> the danger is maybe when you have a nice pillow in the palace. So if you're in a time of ease, Christian, beware. Remember the story of David. Lift your gaze beyond the cares and the worries of this life, beyond the deceitfulness of riches. Um, especially as we enter Christmas season, Christian, do not fall for the oldest trick in the book, the desire for more and more things. Lift your eyes. Focus on the great reward, heaven itself. Lastly, don't be a person with a small heart, a shrinking heart, but have big hearted faith. Friends, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would stir within us a renewed passion for your glory, an awareness that we are saved not by our good works or our strivings, but by believing in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, would you give us hearts that expand, that make more and more room for him? Lord, would you give us ears to hear what Scripture actually says? And Lord, would you lift up our gaze away from the things of this life only? But Lord, would we see the beauty of the life to come? Father, we pray for those this morning who are unable to be with us, who are going through seasons of suffering. And Lord, we pray that this would be the furnace that would burnish them, oh, remove any dross from their life and make them more and more into the image of your son. And so Lord, we commend Mary McClure, Sylvia Gardner, Jim Saltz, Paul Deller, and Sean McCoy. Lord, we ask that they would not waste these seasons of suffering, but they would use them to strive for the life to come. And Father, we pray for another local church in the valley. Father, we praise and thank you for Path Church and Central Point. Lord, we ask that you would be with their pastors, their leaders, their lay people. Uh, Lord, would your spirit be at work in profound new ways, leading people to new life, to repentance, uh, to joy. And Father, we pray that great things would happen at that church. That Lord, that they would have a passion for the gospel and a passion to share life with each other. And Lord, we pray that they would share their meals together with glad and generous hearts, and there would be true Christian community and loving fellowship there. Lord, we ask all those things for our church as well. And Lord, we praise and thank you for Youth 71.5. Lord, we pray for their board. Uh, Lord, we pray for all of the teenagers, uh, Lord, that they have a ministry to. And Lord, that you would call them by name. Father, that they would hear the voice of the Spirit calling them to life. And Lord, that the teenagers in this community that are not part of churches and come from struggling homes, God, would you show them that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but you have come that they would have life and life abundantly. So Father, be with the staff of U715. Lord, help them to carry that message of hope into our community. And Lord, we pray for their staff transitions this next year. Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.